0: Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food so thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show all the way from the Netherlands. I am talking to Queenie June Borgman, registered dietitian, personal trainer, writer and founder of I Am Stuffed. Queenie was raised in Amsterdam having an Indian mother and Dutch father and being Jewish, Queenie thrives on bringing a diverse and eclectic approach to food and looking at the world. Queenie is not your regular dietitian and provides bespoke packages to people to improve their relationship with food and exercise whilst also enhancing their mindset and relationship with food and one of her special interests is working with eating disorders and also helping people regain their menstrual cycle. Queenie has not always had the easiest relationship with food herself Previously, she tried almost every diet and wellness plan going and really has been on a journey in coming to be in a peaceful place in her body and mind. Queenie draws on her personal experience and professional expertise to help others do the same. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Queenie. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Queenie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much that I could
1: come on a podcast on such a short notice. But I'm so happy that we can talk again because you've been at my podcast. Now we're switching around.
0: Yeah, no, it's really great, actually. I, and I really enjoyed coming on your podcast. And I'm trying to think, like, how long ago was that now? Can you remember? <laughs> I, I think it was
1: definitely last year. Maybe like somewhere in October or November. Yeah, so, somewhere so. so It's
0: almost half a year. Wow. I know, where does time go in this kind of crazy pandemic times? (laughs) Um, Definitely. So Queenie, can you just introduce yourself please to the listeners? Yeah, of course.
1: Well, Queenie, I'm 25 years old and I am from the Netherlands and currently I'm a dietitian, personal trainer and lifestyle coach. But if you would go back in time around 2012, 2013, I was kind of developing my eating disorder without knowing it, being very into fitness, what I think a lot of people are nowadays, but really taking it to a next level, being very, you know, firm and strict rules around food, clean eating, maybe a little bit of orthorexia as well. And at some point, you know, it, it went well, and I was just on a good quote-unquote healthy weight but there still was a lot of meddling with food and somewhere around 2015 I really like went bad and lost a lot of weight and I also stopped with my education back then because I was actually basically living a lie with the fact that I wanted to do finance but of course it wasn't the case because I wanted to become a dietitian but because I have an Asian heritage I was just telling myself you know do what is, you know, what makes mama proud. But I couldn't do that anymore because I hated it. I found it dreadful and my grades weren't that well either. Because of that a little bit, I came into that, you know, dark period of my life in 2015 and then my eating disorder was like very bad I hit a very low weight I hit a very low body fat and I knew that something was good but I was in denying phase until I got extreme hunger because that scared the living hell out of me I got that for quite some time and I was so sick of it that I went to a dietitian and I actually said to her, you know, I want to fix my period because it was something that was off for quite some time. And we started with that. But I think in the first consultation, she already knew that I had an eating disorder, but I was very much in denial. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we went working on the, you know, menstruation, but actually it was also eating disorder recovery because I needed to eat the amount of calories that you have on a midi mod method and I did that for quite some time like three or four months but then I relapsed and when I relapsed I didn't listen to her anymore and I started actually my uni at to become a dietitian so what I had was queenie that was underweight and going to uni what I actually loved because it was the course that I wanted to follow, the bachelor that I wanted to have. But I still had my problems with food and I lost quite some weight again. So that eventually developed in binging for quite some time, like three years. And in those years, I really, of course, I had some contact with the dietitian, but I really needed to help myself and mostly help myself throughout the time to get rid of all those damaging habits either drinking too much coffee chewing gum drinking too much fizzy drinks or eating low calorie or eating low fat and eventually I did it and I became a dietitian I became everything what I said before and nowadays I help people with disordered eating or eating disorders
0: Mm, hmm gosh, lovely thank you Queenie for sharing your story so I'd love to just go back and pick up on some of those points that you talked about actually Mm -hmm. can I go back even earlier because I I understand as well you have an Indian mother is that right and a Dutch father and your family are also Jewish is that right
1: Yes, so we have a lot of things going on, basically, (laughs) and uh, there's even a little bit German and Greek there, but we don't really do something with that, but the main things are being Indian and Dutch, and the Jewish part came a little bit later on, but they are all present.
0: Mm. So did you find as well, in terms of like, what was your relationship with food like from early on, kind of having the influences, I guess, of the different sort of cultures well yeah it's very
1: actually i like the dutch food it's very simple it's very you know veggies meat and some potatoes and i really like that and the indian food in the beginning i didn't really found that a problem but when i went into my eating disorder of course it was a problem and my eating disorder actually triggered ibs so what actually happened was i couldn't have indian food because of the onion and spices because my stomach would get upset, but it was, of course, for the eating disorder, something that was A-OK, because now I cannot have the fatty food as well. Mm. So, yeah, I do think that my eating disorder time didn't really like Indian food and really like the Dutch food, basically.
0: Sure. So so for you, you said that your eating disorder was triggered in around 2012. And was Mm -hmm. there something you know, what do you think, was there any particular sort of trigger or life kind of thing going on that set you off on that road? Yes, most definitely.
1: Because during my high school time, I did not have any problem with food at all. I would just eat anything, what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and how much I wanted it. But the moment that I went from high school to uni, it was a very, very big change. And actually, my comfy life of Just going to school, hanging out with friends and studying became much larger in responsibilities. It became traveling with the train to your destination, making sure that your schedule was right with your side job, with studying for school, having projects, you know, getting into the student life. And it was just too much of a change so rapidly Mm -hmm. that it kind of triggered for me personally
0: the the disordered eating. Mm. No, I mean, it, it is such a big transition, isn't it? Like, I think, like going to uni, like it's, it's really exciting and stimulating and can be like a wonderful time of your life. But also, yeah, like you're saying, in a way, it's a massive change, isn't it? Moving from perhaps the safety and routines and the Definitely. things that you know. Yeah, and the first time it was very dreading
1: because it wasn't something that I live in Amsterdam and I needed to go a little bit further than Amsterdam in Harlem. And now I also think that I'm just more adult. The second time I went to uni and was a little bit more confident and know what I was getting into. And back then I didn't knew it at all. And of course I had you know the bachelor that I didn't want of finance. So it just was layer
0: on layer of I think discomfort. Yeah, no, sure. Do you think before that, like when you were at high school, had you ever sort of struggled at all with like low self-esteem or any other sort of aspects of your mental health? Well, that's a good one. I think I can get two things out of that. I like matured a
1: little bit more earlier, I think, than a lot of girls around me. So I got my menstruation and breast development around 11 or 10. And that is, of course, can be different. Some people get it earlier even. But I found that very invasive, you know, very like one point I can just wear a T-shirt and now these things are growing (laughs) and and that was something that really was like oh I was dreading it I really was and I think secondly is maybe because of the almost rank order you have at high school and it's something that I still hate till today because Mm -hmm. I wasn't a person at all that was bullied but I did like to have it a little bit more different as in clothing wise and stuff like that. And I never felt free on doing that. So for me, that was something that also, if I look back, could be very triggering because at the end of the day, I cannot be myself actually how I could almost compare it to how maybe a person is gay in high school. They want to, you know, tell the world, but they cannot because they know they will be bullied because of it. And I think the the same actually goes for me. I want to have different clothes. I have a different style. And I know if I would be myself, I would be bullied for that.
0: Mm, sure. I mean, I think you brought up two really good points there, I think, that are often so relevant for people that struggle with eating disorders. And so I think developing early, so firstly developing early, going through puberty early, that is really, really tough, isn't it? I think if you do go through it just even a year or something before your peers, Mm -hmm. you can feel incredibly self-conscious. And whereas when it's happening a bit later, when maybe it's happening to everyone around you, it's a bit easier to deal with. I mean, it's still not easy, Mm -hmm. is it? (laughs) I think puberty is a nice thing. Um, I can remember that I was like wearing
1: like a warm sweater over a sweater when it was kind of becoming like either the end of summer or the beginning of, yeah, the the end of spring or the beginning of summer. And people were just wearing t-shirts and they were like, Queenie, why the heck are you wearing, you know, (laughs) such a warm sweater and vest and everything? And that was just purely because of that. It was just for my liking it was very early but i also think i wouldn't like it if it was very late as well so yeah mm. i think at the end of the day it would have given me discomfort at any time
0: yeah well i think there's something isn't there just at that age about conforming isn't it because i was kind of the opposite where i like had my period really late and like didn't wear a bra too really late and then i mm. felt really self-conscious for those reasons as well mm-hmm. so it's such a pressure isn't it i think to want to fit in not not wanting to stand out at that age, you really want to accept, don't you? Well, if I would have my
1: periods, for example, when I would be fifteen, I would find that or breast development, I wouldn't be happy with that either. Because in my head, there's this mental range of, oh, this would be a good age, and if it's that quote, yeah, late. If I would say it that way, I would be had you know experienced discomfort with that as well. So. Yeah, basically for me, I know now there cannot influence when it is going to happen. But in my head, I had this range of I would like to have it, you know, have it that moment and everybody actually has it. But that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, no, sure. No, it's just such a tough age, isn't it? And I think linking to to a second point as well, where you were just kind of very aware that there's a part of you that really wanted to express yourself and wear the clothes mm-hmm. that you wanted to wear, et cetera. But you kind of sensed that if you did that, you wouldn't kind of get the approval, maybe or acceptance of other people. So you had to sort of almost squash yourself a little bit, I suppose, didn't you? And you yes. weren't able to be your full self.
1: Definitely. I've worn all those years, I've worn jeans, but I hate jeans. And nowadays, I think already, I haven't really, I've used like a pair of jeans in 2020 because of corona but before that i haven't worn jeans for like seven years but because for me it was such a you know reminder of that basically those years and i do often relate high school with prison because it is so similar you have the good guys the bad guys the bullies there's a certain rank in it and for me yeah it is just there's some Similarity isn't that I find it kind of funny when I look back, I had my end presentation on my school, I did it about Lady Gaga. And I know 1000% yeah. sure I did that because she opened that door for more creative clothing. And I'm very thankful for that because she made that threshold
0: a lot lower. Mm, yeah, I know, sure. So it kind of really gave you kind of permission in a way to sort of yes. be yourself and to experiment and be creative and not be confined by yeah, other people's definitely. expectations. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like you were saying, so going to uni, like so many, you know, so much change to deal with, I guess it was, it sounds like although perhaps parts of that were positive, it was also perhaps quite overwhelming at the time. And then is that the first time then you suddenly sort of became more conscious about what you were eating or wanting to change how you looked? Well, there's a little time before that, and
1: that is when you end high school, there's this end dance, I believe. You know, I don't know if everybody has that, but here in the Netherlands you do have that. So you mm-hmm. all come together for this party at school and everybody comes in dresses, a little bit like homecoming. And it was the first time for me that I actually was worrying about my legs because I would be wearing a dress. And that was the first time that I was kind of looking at my food and was like, okay, I'm not going to drink juice, but I'm going to drink like crystal clear or something. And that happened for like one or two weeks, then it stopped. And then the second time around, when I went to uni, I was like, I think it's like the first semester or something that was like three or four months in, I noticed that I was gaining weight because I had more freedom in my food because normally your parents, you know, make their lunch or you buy something, but not everything. You, you do not decide the whole meal basically. So because of that freedom and changing my rhythm, I gained some weight in that first part of that year. And from there on, I was starting to change my food. And that would be like, normally I would like eat bread with something on it. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to eat apples or something like that or nuts, What? Basically, looking back, I'm like, okay, you've just eaten a bag of nuts, but that is not like calorie-wise better than bread. <laughs> but that is something mm. that you look back, of course. That is
0: like hmm, you learn. Mm. No, sure. So it sounds like yeah, to, to begin with, you had a bit more, you know, you, you could be more relaxed with your eating, I guess, and you had more freedom. But and then perhaps mm-hmm. you found you gained a little bit of weight, and then you didn't like that, and then and then you so you started to make some sort of swaps, and then. Yeah. Did that quite quickly sort of move into more of an unhealthy zone where it became a bit more compulsive or obsessive? I think it took about a year. And the funny thing is that I
1: went to that school with a good friend of mine. And I know sometimes when I speak with her, she refers to that time as in, do you remember the time that you were swapping food and then... 2 years later on i saw you and you like almost died because you were so skinny so mm-hmm. she really is my like reference point on what i really did because sometimes when you're very malnourished you can get how would you call that in english that you do not remember stuff anymore Amnesia,
0: I believe. Yeah, amnesia, yeah, yeah, or just a loss of memory and yeah. yeah. So I have little
1: bits and parts because of the low weight that I cannot fully, you know, bring back. Mm. And then she's very chill actually to talk with her because she can bring that back to me so I can link it again. So it went worse when actually she went away from the study because we did the first year together, and the second year she wasn't there. So in the second year, I eventually Went to classes less and less, and I only did the exams. And there, because of less contact with school, it went worse.
0: Mm, okay. So it sounds like, as well, it really kind of impacted your sort of studies and your social life and everything, did it? Because you became so Definitely. Sort of preoccupied. Mm. Definitely. Well, the, the funny thing is, when it comes down to being social
1: with my fellow students, they were just not my crowd. So I think even when it wouldn't have been an eating disorder. They were just still not my type of people. But I vividly remember that I'm always very outgoing, even with the eating disorder, when it was for drinks and foods or going to places. It wasn't a problem then, often. Mm. So my eating disorder wouldn't be with those events. But at some point it did. And then I knew that it wasn't well at all. And it was going
0: further and further. Yeah, no, sure. So, and and then in that time you contacted a dietitian, did you for some support? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, yes. On a
1: very, I think, different way than most people would do. <laughs> what I basically <laughs> did is that I called the school where I eventually went to study. And I said mm-hmm. to her, you know, do you have students that maybe like need a subject or something like that? So I wanted mm-hmm. help, but you know, I was like, okay, this is the core of the dietitian group, so maybe it is better to be there. But of course, students can help somebody with a low weight because it's just dangerous. So mm-hmm. she gave me three options, and it was a guy, other lady, and another lady. And the guy, I wasn't really comfortable with him for my eating disorder. I don't know, maybe it's just a female to female thing, but. I wasn't really comfortable with that. The other lady, I didn't really click with looking at her page and what she did. And the last lady, she lived near and I was like, okay, you
0: look normal. So I'll give you a try. Okay, sure. And at that time as well, did you, I guess as well, when you're seeing a dietitian, I mean, I appreciate the work you do now as a dietitian, you do a lot broader kind of work don't you in terms of working on mindset relationship Mm -hmm. with food it's not just about what you eat but when you had support back then were you able to kind of deal with a bit more of the kind of mindset and a bit of the psychological side of the eating disorder well I think you know I knew that I had an eating disorder but it went actually
1: more Actually, fired a little bit up when I went to her because mm. it triggered my eating disorder more. Because she did things, of course, that triggered it, like giving a food schedule or eating X amount of calories. So I, mm. I really noticed that those, those tendencies went up. And she told me, you know, I'm going to help you, but you know, hell no, that I'm only going to do that. So either you go to a psychologist or you go to a social worker. But these are like. The things that I want you to do, one of those two, otherwise I won't help you. What I get, because it's a multidisciplinary mm. approach.
0: Yeah, and sure. So did you do that then at the time? Did you seek kind of other help alongside? Well, I must say that I was very, very
1: insulted when she said that I needed to see a shrink. Basically. <laughs> so I did not do that, but
0: I did went to a, mm. show, a social worker. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. And and what, you know, because I guess it's a bit different maybe in the Netherlands to in the UK, but how does the social worker, like what kind of input do you get from a social worker in the Netherlands around eating disorder support?
1: Well, it really started out very differently because I started with that social worker. That was just, I think, my very eating disorder part. Um, can you help me out with which study I need to choose? Because I knew that I needed a certain rhythm to like, let's say this way, I am not like the eating disorder patient and wouldn't be back then, or even now if I would have it, that I want to just sit at home and be stuck with my eating disorder. So I knew I wanted to go to school again. So mm-hmm. that was something that I really discussed with her, you know, what we're, you know, what I love, what I like to do. And I went to some open days of different unis and somewhere in the middle, I started open up what was actually on, And she was like a little bit, you know, and I truly think that she wanted to help but she wasn't qualified enough to do that so of course she would ask some critical questions
0: but it wasn't Mm. near like a psychologist would do yeah no sure you know sure and it sounds as well that maybe at that stage you were maybe do you think a bit ambivalent about change almost like you know I wonder if you were ready do you think then to recover well, let's say it this
1: way, I was always ready to recover if extreme hunger was around the corner. <laughs> but mm. if it wasn't there for quite some time, I was what more, you know, reluctant and a more easy and like, hmm, okay, there's more space. The eating disorder, but then again, I am a person of principle, and when I like when I have like a deal with somebody that I would do something, I would do it. So I know that the dietitian asked me, you know, you're eating three thousand calories now. You know, why are you doing that? because you didn't did it before. And I was like, you know, we made a deal. So that's why I'm doing that. It isn't really a good motivation looking back because it's external. But I really mm. jumped in and out motivation, as in sometimes it was external, sometimes it was internal. And I really was in different stages of the motivational stages, basically.
0: Mm, sure. No. I mean, so interesting. And I think so many people listening will really relate to that. Because I think, There is often a lot of changes in motivation, isn't there, in eating disorder recovery? You know, that's really very, very normal. Yeah, I totally
1: agree. I I mean, it was, I think the most grateful that I was actually is that I knew that I wasn't living my quality of life. And because of Mm. that, I was still striving for recovery. It didn't matter how many times I binged or even when I was underweight, I knew that this wasn't something for me it didn't fit me and how I look at life basically so that was eventually and still till today is motivating for me to do things different to treat myself right or you know the self-care what comes along with it as well because if your quality of life is good you're just not in a good mood and you're making yourself more vulnerable to go into bad stuff basically
0: Yeah, no, sure. But it sounds like as well, I think, again, a really helpful thing, which people will relate to, but when you can actually sort of really acknowledge your values, I guess, and like, it sounds like for you, when you had your eating disorder, there was a real disconnect in a way between you leading your kind of value based life, and you weren't, and you weren't feeling good physically, mentally, so that, you know, and you did like that, so that was kind of that brought you kind of more and more towards wanting to change, I guess, because it sounds like you're quite, you know, strong in your values, I guess, and you have quite a kind of clear vision of the life you do want to be leading.
1: Yes, I do not, and it's something that I think is very important as well. I did not want to let become that eating disorder my identity. So of course I have a problem, and I take it very seriously, but I also just want that, you know, normal life, what normal is. So I was really focused on that and. I know that I needed to let that eating disorder go to achieve that. And I think depending, you know, on which crowd you hang out with, I had healthy people around me. So I had a friend that had a boyfriend or a friend that went out for a partying and stuff like that. And that is often good confrontation on, you know, what are you doing? Because you're sitting alone maybe at home over-exercising and with your food and crying because you've just binged, but know why you're doing it because you could also eventually, you know, go to a party, have fun. Even actually, if you're in a stable situation with your eating disorder, you could do that as well. Don't just chill with your eating disorder.
0: Mm, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> there sounds like a couple of things that, like you really talked about about kind of the values and wanting to be more in, li- in line with those, but also perhaps being confronted or you know challenged yourself when you're seeing your friends going out and doing fun normal things and you kind of thinking oh you know i don't want to miss out on that or kind of you know seeing that you know you wanted to experience those things was there anything else as well that really helped you kind of really make that decision that you wanted to recover or anything else that kind of helped you on that recovery journey that's a tough one yeah i think it's
1: very multifactorial thing mm. as in I really that like those extreme hunger things that happened. Those were like the kickoff for for me to recover because I really still till today find them very, very scary. Not because the amount of food that has been eaten, but you really see that primal part of your body taking over. And we are always, you know, the, the proud people that think with their brains and we have so many knowledge and we are smarter than other animals, but that part is still there. And I think we do not acknowledge it that much so it was very confronting to have that mm. and other things that will maybe be triggering for me for recovery because triggering isn't always a negative word of course I think also again to help people because eventually I got that dietitian in front of me and I was like you know that is a very you know sick cool job to have to help mm. people out to change their way of thinking and especially when it comes down to eating disorder patients you really Change somebody's life,
0: mm, yeah, no, sure. So it was almost having something, wasn't it like a purpose or a vision that was greater than the eating disorder and yes. it really kind of pulled you forward? And you know, yeah. and it sounds like lots of things, really. And I think it's over the way. Go on, I think maybe also adding that on, I'm always like
1: very curious how things will, you know, go and end. So if I would go with my eating disorder, I know how it's going to end, I either die. Or I will be that sick person that either goes in and out of clinics and stuff like that. But when I am that person that is healthy in you know, depending on what you see as health, but thriving and doing what she loves, I can see what it, you know, I'm curious on what it will bring more. So if I would have chosen my eating disorder so many years ago, I wouldn't have this conversation with you. I would have become a dietitian at all. I wouldn't have become a personal trainer, lifestyle coach, wouldn't have, I'm stuffed. Wouldn't have met all the cool people that I've met, basically. So there is a far mm. more cooler story that goes and goes, and that you basically write if you choose for a living than choosing for a disease. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's really kind of powerful to hear you, hear you say that, really, because I think you yeah, like when you're sort of really reflecting on the, so many positives that have come from you taking that other road. Definitely. Yeah, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? So Queenie can you talk a bit more about like obviously like you lost your menstrual cycle when you Mm -hmm. had your eating disorder and now when you work in your work you're kind of that's one of the areas that you really sort of focus on isn't it in helping people to restore their menstrual cycle. So could you just talk a bit more kind of about that like your own experience and also the, the sort of advice you would give to people that are trying to restore their menstrual cycle. Well, yes, maybe it's a good thing to start off.
1: Like, just like I found it very confronting to have breast, I found it very confronting to get my period. I got it when I was in India and I was really like, what the hell is that and I don't want to go to school anymore (laughs) and Mm. you know I was just crying I wasn't a big fan of it and when I started training too much and eating too less it went away and like the first one or two months I was you know kind of happy and when the third month came around I was kind of freaking out and I knew that I needed to change lifestyle wise and that That change came far later on, but it taught me a lot about, you know, how a woman body is so different than a body of a man. And we always, you know, say women and men are equal. No, they are different, but they should get equal rights. Because when it comes down to the biological system, it's just totally different. So what I mostly aim for when it comes down to uh, period recovery Mm-hmm. It are a few guidelines. It's eating enough. So the nutrition part, and then also the composition of the nutrition, you know, carbs, fats, and actually not a lot of protein. Then it's the movement part over exercising or a lot of cardio will basically, you know, ruin your period. It is a very much of a fight or flight attack what you give to your body so for example if Mm. I go out running I maybe think you know 10 kilometers I'm doing a good job but translating that to your primal brain it's maybe you running from a lion and it just gives stress so Mm. that is a part that I look at as well then it's the part of mindset if you really want your period that bad I almost can thousand percent say that you will not get it it will always come at a moment that you do not expect it Mm -hmm. then it's stress if you have stress it's going to be a hard hard thing you really need to calm down and I I think a lot of people with the anxiety around food and movement that part if that calms down there's more room for your period and Mm -hmm. last thing is sleep If you do not sleep well, just like they say for strength training, you need that for recovery. The same goes for your period. Bad sleep is bad signals, is overtired body, is no period or bad period.
0: Mm. Well, thank you. I think really helpful to just run through those points. And I think so interesting as well. Like, you know, I think we're so conditioned sometimes to think, can't we, that, you know, like, more exercise more cardio whatever that's a really positive thing but like you're saying in a way it is a stressor for the body and if you're doing it too much particularly like yeah your body probably does put your body doesn't it, into kind of fight flight and thinking that you're fleeing danger and it can be a real stressor then yes yes
1: and yeah. sometimes I'm a, maybe a little bit in Dutch say we say direct in in the way we, we talk I mm. sometimes really like need to hit home hard and say if you go on with this in the future you will not have children because a lot of people bring it to a place that it becomes very hard to get children or maybe with special like treatment because yeah. they're really breaking it down they're really putting their body in basically some people almost like how the people in the Holocaust have, you know, had their horrible conditions. And that is just very painful for the body. And Mm. trust goes away as well, because you are, it's almost like, you know, how would you say it? If you would get a dog and you would hit the dog, the dog would trust you less. And Mm. actually what you're doing is the same with your body, not giving it enough food, not giving it enough water, Mm. not giving it enough rest, blah, 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 everything that comes with it. If you do that, you're disconnecting the trust that your body has in you.
0: Mm, yeah, and no, it's so true, isn't it? And, you know, I think so much about kind of healing from an eating disorder is trying to sort of reconnect with your body again, isn't it? Re-establish that trust, like listen yes. to your body and, you know, take care of it and give it what it needs. Yes. But yeah, things just- like, it sounds crazy, but things like using baby
1: oil and just touching your body again and stuff like that, because it's always... A lot of people maybe don't touch their body in a in a loving way, but more in pinching and look how much fat I have, stuff like that. And that is so that does something, you know, mentally. Mm. So starting out with showering or really connect with your body by touching it, or giving it a healthy meal, it does a lot long term.
0: Yeah, no, it's trying to get you get someone more in that kind of self soothing place, isn't it? Where they're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I think so many people with eating disorders are extremely good at caring for other people and are, you know really really kind and very very nurturing but they mm-hmm. really struggle to do that for themselves and it's almost yeah. kind of being able to turn that nurturing inwards isn't it and to sort of give yourself that soothing and kindness that you really deserve. Definitely, although I sometimes see something else before uh, look, I'm speaking
1: Dutch, for example, <laughs> when they're <laughs> making food, you're making food and you're just making a beautiful plate with food and you're maybe like using potatoes, using oil, stuff like that. but you let somebody else eat it and then it's actually you that wants to eat that but you're not ready for that mentally so you're just basically watching another person eat what you want to eat. And al- although that looks soothing, it can also be something distorted.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's a very eating disorder thing, isn't it? That, mm-hmm. you know, when you're restricting your food, when you're sort of in a state of starvation, you kind of want to be around food and you want to feed everybody yeah. else, even when you're not allowing it yourself. And I guess that's a bit of a survival instinct isn't it almost um
1: yes definitely i think a
0: lot of if you would like look at the statistics
1: of what i eat in the days of food challenges i think Mm. a high percentage of those people that are watching are people with eating disorder or disordered eating or people that are dieting down because it draws that way of thinking and going around food draws you to food even more
0: yeah it's so true isn't it I think the number of people I think I've worked with that work in bakeries or in cafes or in supermarkets they can be around food or like bake all the time and not that you know of course there's nothing wrong with baking if you really love it and enjoy it but if you're kind of doing it because of the eating disorder and you're not really eating anything yourself then it's not so healthy
1: yes and I've done Exactly the same. I started out in a cafe with an eating disorder and it was so complex because uh, serving the food, okay, but eating there in the evening was something that I tried to avoid. So I always had like those short
0: shifts that I could eat at home. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So, Queenie, just I wonder as well. Like, do you think there's a big difference, if at all, between kind of the Netherlands and the UK with diet culture, how body image is experienced? Or, you know, do you think it's actually very, very similar?
1: I actually think it's very similar because of social Mm. media, because of the information we I think we almost practically get the same information and or the new trends, the new diets, stuff like that. So nowadays, I think it's super similar. But if you would go back like 40 or 50 years, it wouldn't be similar at all.
0: Hmm, yeah, no sure. And what in terms of so today, obviously, now you've recovered, and you you trained as a dietitian, a personal trainer, and you kind of help people to kind of heal their relationship with food and have a, have a good relationship with food, a good relationship with exercise. So can you say a bit more like kind of, you know, what might what kind of work might you do if a client comes and yeah works with you? Oh, I actually
1: had that yesterday. (laughs) By coincidence. (laughs) Well, first, I have that 20-minute option of just talking with each other just to get to know each other because I do not just take Every client that comes in isn't financially very good for me, but mentally for me it is because I need Mm. to like check out if we click, if this is going to be something, because otherwise we will both dread working together. And it's not something that I want basically. Mm. Also I do check on BMI and I know that's not a good or tilting to hear, especially when you have anorexia and seeking help. But when you do stuff like me online, I need to like eyeball throughout the screen how it's going. And basically Mm. it is too on the edge on having a very low BMI and doing stuff online. So that are some elements. And when we go about it, I standardly have an ebook on information about eating disorders, but not per se as in how the DSM-5 is telling it, you know, these are the criteria stuff like that, but more on the mindset of, what you're thinking and how to debunk that. Then I have a food schedule and I will never ever put the amount of calories in that, of course. And mm-hmm. there's no restriction like in the food schedule or in the list of, oh my God, what a horrible word is that for me. <laughs> but in the list of all the food options, there will not be, you know, this is good, this is bad because normally dietitians do that, but I cannot do that. And at least not with this specific group because you're giving the Food tots, even more place for that. So the list is very neutral, the food schedule is very neutral, not nothing is good, nothing is bad. Then we have the 60-minute mm-hmm. consultation every month. Then if it's needed, there is this training schedule, but it really depends per person. And sometimes I do not give it, but I give it later on in the process if I see things are going better. And mm-hmm. then there's the seven days a week chat option. So next to the 60 minutes. I also rather have that somebody like apps me through WhatsApp on my phone so they can either send pictures of their food or tell me what I've eaten or stuff like that. Because in the time that I had my eating disorder, that lady only had X amount of hours because of our insurance to help me out. So often I would send stuff, but she wouldn't reply. I get it because let, if mm-hmm. I could like go back. It took a lot of hours (laughs) to to, like heal me. So I know that it wouldn't be profitable for her, but she did help me out so much in the time that she had. And even when I wasn't her client for a very long time, if I had like a big ass meltdown, she would say, okay, you know, let's go and meet each other and see how and what. So what she did for me couldn't go completely you know fully in the extent that i wanted to have so that's why i'm doing it for the clients with an eating disorder so they do have that option of having less anxiety Mm, sure so just being able to offer a bit more of that intensive support if people want it yes yeah because it's so needed like here in the netherlands you only have three hours with the dietitian and a half hour of it is already for me to like make your food schedule so it's only two and a half hours. Throughout the year, it is crazy less.
0: Mm, I mean, it's nothing, is it? Really, it nothing is at all. nothing. <laughs> it and is empty. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it's shocking, really, isn't it? It's just shocking to even think that that's gonna help someone recover, really. But no,
1: it's like a Harry yeah. Potter <laughs> movie. It has the same duration. It's like crazy how how that would work. But okay.
0: Mm, and obviously, like you you're like a lifestyle coach as well. So it's Mm -hmm. like part of your work as well. Is there kind of like, are you kind of working with people on their self-esteem and their kind of emotions and their thinking? And and I guess there's kind of deeper roots of the eating disorder.
1: Yeah, I always, you know, ask why. And I I think I push a lot of people out of their comfort zone. But I do that with the intention, because if you're in your comfort zone, then it means that you're with your eating disorder. And that's not something that I want to have. I really want to get you out of that eating disorder. So I always ask like critical questions on why does that happen? Or why do you do that? And let them think. I had a lady last that she thought that people wouldn't like her because or wouldn't care for her because she was too thin or the people wouldn't see her anymore and i like asked her you know did that really happen did the people didn't came you know to your house because you were on a healthy weight and then she said you know no i was just thinking that it's a thought in my head but it didn't happen so these type of things you really like need to pull that out because it is just a distorted thought it isn't any truth in it
0: Mm, sure no that's really (laughs) helpful isn't it because I I think it's so important and you know obviously it's really valuable to be working on the food side but also the kind of deeper roots and the thinking and there's a lot of work as we both know that needs to be done there too
1: (laughs) but Um, I must say and I think I'll never like like say that like of course I'm a lifestyle coach but when it comes down to deep deep psychology you need a psychologist or somewhat in in that field because of course you know I do my part I learn a lot about uh you know conditioning of the brain but it isn't mm-hmm. at the end of the day my you know my essence so there's yeah. a lot of it but I do believe that a psychologist has that support
0: way 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 better no sure. So would you sometimes as well, like if you would you sort of work alongside a psychologist as well if you felt someone needed that or, or do you tend to perhaps work with people more the I want to say kind of the milder end, but do you know what I mean? I don't like that that those words actually, but I suppose I'm just kind of wondering, I guess there's it's a spectrum, isn't it, about what different levels people suffer with their disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'm stuffed there. There are, like, like I told you about the
1: BMI, that's that rule. Mm, but it also yeah. is with when you work with me, there should be another health practitioner alongside because otherwise mm-hmm. I will not do it. And the reason why is because ethically, as a dietitian, I would be failing because mm. I should really, specific, specifically with eating disorders, if I do everything on my own, I could get sued. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. not a good thing really yeah. not a good thing and i think <laughs> yeah, for everybody no sure. that's gonna help yeah it's just it would, would be the same as like chiropractor is going to give nutrition advice for somebody that he or she is helping but it is yeah. isn't his field and yeah, no maybe sure. at some point the person has high cholesterol and he said you know go and eat coconut fat and that person dies he's in big trouble
0: yeah So no sure <laughs> yeah no i sure no it's important isn't it to have you know different people involved who can kind of, you know, offer their speciality. Yeah. Um, And also of, of the part, you know, healing
1: from an eating disorder is learning new perspectives, is putting your perspective aside you and seeking for new ones because those different perspectives can give you recovery and if at some point you know you can talk with me but you almost wringed everything out of me and you've got a certain amount of recovery but you will never have that fully potential so you really need to talk to a lot of people to give you that insight for example my sis always said me you know told me that if you've broken your body down in like two years so Maybe will take the double amount of time to heal it. And although she didn't know anything about eating disorders, she did give me that insight on, you know, really you need to be patient for recovery and stuff will work out, but it takes some time. And that is what I mean with perspective, because my dietitian never told me that.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true, isn't it? Because I think as well, it can be quite frustrating experience for people or, and really unsettling if they, ha- if they go into recovery with the expectation that everything's going to be better in like a couple of months. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, know. I think there's a lot of pressure on us as healthcare providers that or people that have waited a long time to go into a clinic. And then it's almost like, you know, a Disney thing that you go in and you will go out there without an eating disorder. It's just not the case. It happens maybe a little bit, but I think the majority of the group still deals with stuff, but it is more manageable or they're more structured in their eating. So there should be a little adjustment in their reality because it is hard work to get an eating disorder, but it's also hard work to get away from one.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's really true, isn't it? But also I wanted to say to people as well, like just be really hopeful that it is it is still possible. It's absolutely possible to recover. Isn't Definitely. It? Just have, yes. Yeah. Just having those expectations and not expecting that it's going to be like a four-week plan or something, and out you sail into the sunset. So, Queenie, where can people find you if they want to know more about you?
1: They can find me at iamstuff.nl, or they can find me on the podcast on Spotify and Anchor and almost everywhere Apple Podcasts, I believe, as well. And that is podcast or on Instagram, and that is at I'm stuff underscore C-O-M.
0: Okay, lovely. Okay, well, Queenie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story and all your insights. It's been really valuable. Yes,
1: I really enjoyed going back to memory lane because when I look back at it all, I'm like, really, Queenie, but I also get that little girl from back then as well. So, yeah, I look at it as a more structured thing than I looked at it before
0: Mm, okay well I'm so glad that you've recovered too and that you're doing the work that you do and that you're wearing the clothes that you always wanted to wear and being yourself (laughs) (laughs) yes
1: yes yes. it's a it's a thing that really it stuck with me all my employers said to me you know Queenie wherever you will go you should be at a place where you can wear what you want to wear otherwise it's
0: a place for you (laughs) yeah very good advice (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Queenie. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Queenie's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do visit my website at theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. I would be really grateful if you enjoyed this podcast if you could rate and review it as it really helps it to reach many more people and if you'd like to get extra goodies from me and support this podcast do sign up to my Patreon and there's more information about that if you click on the link in the show notes and it will take you right there. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.